2: Ladies and gentlemen welcome once again to unmasking the revolution brought to you by the fleur-de-lis club the happy and proud delegation of the union de, de France in the united states and we have with us our dear friend and comrade from france today Monsieur, who will be speaking presently on the third of the four horsemen of the apocalypse whose name is mirabeau a very complicated figure interesting in some ways gross in others and I think it's a good thing for us to discuss him before we get to the, uh, the piece de resistance, I suppose, who would be Joey, Joey Balsamo, Joseph Balsamo, uh, a uh, a Satan worshipper and a charlatan. But I, we can see many things, monsieur, about Mirabeau, but I don't think we could call him a charlatan, could we?
3: Oh, absolutely not. Very, yeah. bla- I'm very glad to be here with you today. And uh, thank you for welcoming me once again to this uh, podcast Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you again so mirabeau is definitely a very complex character i've uh, uh, really tried to understand this particular personality and uh, honestly he's got so many facets just like the french revolution you see whatever you may think of him and it's very amazing because he was a definite revolutionary. He yes. was absolutely convinced that the monarchy had to change. But in the end, he was also a monarchist. So that makes him a very strange, very difficult figure to grasp. Because on the one hand, nobody would believe him, particularly on the on on the king's side, yes. because he had such a bad reputation, which he deserved fully, because he made such a... He had such a scandalous behavior when he was young, but not only when he was young.
2: There was no other behavior; he was just always scandalous. There was no period of just.
3: Apparently, there was that was his uh, his own behavior. You know, he couldn't behave any other way, and I will try to explain why. But uh, among all the revolutionaries that we have mentioned and we talked about, Danton, we talked about. Uh, Duke, the Duc d'Orléans, and these yes. are very important, prominent uh, figures. The Duc d'Orléans, as I've always said, for me, is definitely the most important cog in the revolutionary wheel. But after that, Danton is also a very strange character.
2: I like the way you discuss uh, Philip Pecosi. Yes. When you say he was an important cog in the wheel, he was at the center of the web, but I think yes. we he wasn't the one pulling the string, so to speak. No, but he absolutely was the center. Not.
3: absolutely not. But I would not consider Danton as important as Mirabeau. Mirabeau hmm. uh, is really a universe in, 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 its, in himself. In a nutshell, a very strange personality, because on the one hand, A revolutionary and on the other hand a monarchist this is absolutely incredible but when you look at the his personal history and you can understand why he was like that yes because unfortunately uh, well uh, I shouldn't say unfortunately he was born in the aristocracy but his father didn't like him at all and why didn't he like him? Well, for a very, very simple reason. He was so ugly that he was, uh, he was uh, d- uh, disgustingly ugly, shall I say. And his father, who was, who was a very strange man as well, by the way, his father, this family is crazy. They were all crazy. And they spent their lives uh, in uh, having lawsuits against each other. I'm not joking. This is true. You know, the the father was a very notorious person as well because he was a physiocrat. Physiocracy is something which you may may or may not have. It's heard not a about. word
2: we use too often in 2019. No,
3: no, of course not. But at the time, you know, in the 18th century, <clears throat> there was this new revolutionary concept of the uh, land being the most important part of the wealth of a nation. And even, uh, you know, uh, English authors uh, like uh, uh, Adams, if I'm not mistaken. Wealth of nations. Not the wealth of nations, but they were very much influenced by the the physiocrats for economists. They would refer to themselves as economists, but the main word for them was physiocracy.
2: Most and, people today, including most economists in the Western world, when they think of the beginnings of economics as a modern science, they always go to Adam Smith. They don't realize that before then, or it's not that they don't realize, it's been obscured from them. There was a very, it was the, really, it was in vogue. It was, it was uh, au quran at the time, the physioc- physiocratic school of economics, including Turgot, who was yes. a, a, a minister for Louis the Sixteenth. And yes. when they, in a way we can think of it is a pre-runner to some of the definitions of capitalism, because land by the physiocrat's definition would be, in a way, almost like a means of production. So this was a very advanced... uh, Absolutely.
3: Well, actually, it was a very advanced theory. And uh, it was, in a certain sense, they were breaking away from the traditional economy, uh, uh, moral and social economy of the Bourbon, You know, the Bourbon dynasty. And they were trying to introduce something new here, which was uh, the free trade. Yes. That was was before uh, Adam Smith and uh, others uh, talked about it. It it, it came from France, you see, quite quite, uh, strange enough. And uh, so his father, Mirabeau's father, was already quite a notorious person as well. And later on in his life, he became extremely jealous because his son was uh, rising to glory as well. And he didn't like it at all, you see. <laughs> so so it's, a, it's a, all in all, it's a very strange family, you know. I, I, where...
2: I quite agree with you that, uh, speaking of strange families, I, I am glad, Monsieur, that you put him in the same category as the Duke early on. Because I think both of these men, even though they've done reprehensible things, there's, a, there's almost a pitiable aspect because they had such... A tragic childhood with hate. I remember the Duc d'Orléans, as you were saying, his father said, You're not my son, you're from the yes. coachman, or something yes. like that. And, yes, you're uh,
3: right, you're right. But the Duc d'Orléans is, is a wicked person, just like Mirabeau is wicked, but not, not grounded in the same uh, um, family history. Um, because they, they okay the Duc d'Orleans uh, his his ancestry they were all against the king because they wanted to replace the king himself yeah. he didn 't want to replace the king, but he wanted to seduce, he wanted to uh, please his father and most of his world, uh, of his life he tried to please his father, his father would send him to jail with really? the famous lettre de cachet and of course he, he would do that because that was one way of protecting his son from the creditors who wanted to get their money back and uh, but at the same time he was extremely cruel with his son very very cruel indeed and but at the same time Mirabeau uh, as as a son yes would try to please his father even later on in life he tried to you see so it's an it's an extravagant family in one might even
2: say psychologically sir even after his father had died the actions of Mirabeau were attempting to please his father
3: it's incredible i think it's true yeah
1: hola queridos amigos Este es un breve anuncio para todos aquellos en la audiencia que habla o se siente más cómoda con el idioma español. Muchas gracias por su audiencia y apoyo. Estamos en proceso de crear varios episodios para los oyentes de habla española. Me complace decirlo para los miembros. Es importante tener en cuenta que esta organización, la Unión de Círculos Legítimos de Francia, de la que somos solo un delegado, tiene un servicio en español muy sensible y activo. Y por supuesto, su majestad más cristiana comparte personalmente la rica cultura española, al igual que su maravillosa esposa venezolana. Recuerde, nuestro mensaje es el mismo, ya sea en inglés, francés, español o chino. Buscamos la justicia, el estado de derecho, la seguridad económica, el apoyo a la familia, la difusión de las enseñanzas de nuestra Santa Madre Iglesia en todos los aspectos de la sociedad. Buscamos devolver a su trono al hijo mayor de la Iglesia. Dios los bendiga a todos.
3: I think it's interesting to consider what happened to him. Then his childhood when he was born, he was born with some form of hydrocephalia, you know what I mean? A very large head.
2: Oh, yes you know, yeah. you know that yes. word idros, it, uh, idros. is another word I believe
3: exactly. so he, he was he was he had such a, an ugly uh, monstrous face yeah. that his father would not recognize him as his son, but he never said it it was not his son. but for him, and he wrote to his uh, his, 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 um, his brother, who was a bailiff. And he wrote to him and he said, my son looks like the nephew of Satan. Oh,
2: oh my God. That's what
3: he said of him, you see. Oh. So, so he had such a, but of course, it's true that he was extremely ugly. But not only that, apparently he had a club foot, you know. And it's interesting to to consider that because Danton had a, a, a broken lip, you know. We talked about that. Yes, and but he
2: the utter
3: suckling. Um Yeah, absolutely. And um if you consider other characters who are who were very important, like Talleyrand, the the, uh, the the Bishop Talleyrand, who was who was an atheist, by the way, yes. who also had a club foot. And these guys, because they had these deformities, tried to um become even more excellent. And it's true that Talleyrand would never say uh, his composure would never change. Whatever happened to him, you could have kicked, it, kicked him in the ass and he wouldn't have changed his face because he was so used uh, to remaining, to, to, to remaining um, composed. You know what I mean? And it was, it was a strength. So they turned this problem into a strength. And it's true for Mirabeau as well because he was, he was the first to say that he was ugly, but he was so ugly that everybody would uh, follow him. So all these guys, they they had some disabilities, but they turned them into strengths. You see,
2: it's so true, Monsieur, and To reinforce your point, and for the benefit of all, the um, it's hard for us to imagine today, for good or ill, um, the extent to which physical beauty was important in the aristocracy of the time. We we have supermodels nowadays, and God forbid we have the Kardashians. But back in this <laughs> period, <laughs> we they, could do they, without them. We could do without many of them. But back during this period of time. Your your physical appearance was important on a, on a different sort of level than we could comprehend today. Additionally, family ties were, for good or for ill, far deeper and stronger and more pervasive than they were today. So when you have your father in this period of time, the 1760s or 50s, saying that my son is the nephew of Satan and that he's as ugly as hell, that would be... That would almost be like being cast out of society, I would imagine, society itself.
3: Yeah, I I think if I remember well, I think he said as well that his his son was a monstrous male, physically and morally. And unfortunately, I think it's true. (laughs) 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 And and he said as well, if I I remember well, that uh, he said, uh, and I'm quoting here, uh, my son is extremely ugly but through his words he can convince and seduce anybody and i think this is very important as a remark because in fact this guy became the uncontested leader of the national as- national assembly yes because because he was so ugly everybody would look at him you know because he was limping you know he had he had that particular gait, so people would notice him because it uh, yeah. was thunderous they would notice him because of his behavior they would remember him because of his pamphlets because he he spent his time when he was in prison writing pamphlets to everybody to and he, they would be printed in geneva by the way by a genevan uh, printer they would yes. make a lot of money that way and he would denounce the despotism he was uh, Uh, He was one of the champion against despotism, and he was, of course, he was jailed all the time. So he knew very well the jails. But he was, he was certainly not. uh, uh, He he, he had a certain point of view, which was not necessarily the truth, but he thought it was the truth. And he was extremely violent in his critic of the uh, despotic Louis the Sixteenth, who was certainly not a
2: despot. If he had had been, he would have averted the entire revolution.
3: Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. If he had been, there wouldn't have been a revolution. Yes, and it's just the problem with Louis sixteenth that he, he had all the, the virtues which uh, made him uh, uh, you know, the, the, the critic of the others. If he, if yeah. he, had, if he had had vices, uh, that would have been okay. If he had had a mistress, that would have been okay. Because in that case, the, the, the people would have said, oh, there's a problem in France. This is because of the mistress. But he exactly. had no mistress. Exactly. He had no mistress, you see. So, uh, so Louis the Sixteenth was a lamb. Yes, a he sense. really was. He was a lamb because he he had no uh, he, he he had no mistresses, you know. He had no vice, we know of. His and he vice, was it, good. He his was vice literally
2: good. was a vice because he made locks. That was the king's secret hobby. He used to make locks. That was about as a as... That's his yeah. vice.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, with the sixteenth was considered by so many people, so many enlightened uh, revolutionaries, uh, uh, as uh, uh, you know, some, as, as a despot, as a tyrant. But it's, we are so far from the truth, so far from the truth in that particular instance. So anyway, physically speaking, that guy was really deformed. You know, he had a he had a, he had a very strong neck as well. He yeah. had that club foot, you know, he had all these problems, but he had, he had an eyesight, he had, he had eyes that could attract the attention of everybody. And he had a thunderous voice. And this is very important, as I've told you before, because if you are talking to the National Assembly where, where the deputies, most of them were not, you know, they were not,
2: well, they, they were not
3: as uh, uh, excellent as he was in terms of oratory prowesses.
2: And there is a certain, there's a certain dry humor to uh, Mirabeau. That, what I know of the man, I remember there's this anecdote, as you began earlier, when they were in the, uh, during the Estates General, and they refused to leave. They refused to leave. And he said, Mirabeau said something like, we're only going out of here at the point of a bayonet. And she, he cheered, but then he turned to everyone and with a smile said, and if we... And if the bayonets show up, our asses are getting straight out of this building. <laughs> so, well,
3: this, is, this is something I wanted to say, and I'm very pl- glad that you have mentioned that. Because that brings us to another point here. Mirabeau was the leader of the people. He was a leader. And in that particular instance, you know what happened? I think it was on the 23rd of June uh 1789
2: it was right after the dauphin died the first the first time
3: yeah unfortunately you yeah. know the dauphin has just died and what happened is that uh the louis the 16th got really uh not mad but he was really worried because the etat general the states general had been convened for two or three months already yes and they had not produced anything so it was really an, uh, an incredible situation, and as a result, the Louis decided to do something, and he t- decided to bang the table, if I may say. You know, he wanted to 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 bring them to the senses that they were. They had been the state General had been con- con- convened. Uh, to try and solve the financial issues of the kingdom, yes. and they were not doing anything. They were just checking their mandates to see whether they were the right ones to be uh, represented. And uh, he got he got really incensed about that. Uh, I think he was right. Was- as a monarch, you know, he said he said I think uh, at one point that if you cannot do anything, I will have to do it myself. Something like that. And as a result, you know, the the uh, all the these guys, all these. Uh, uh, deputies uh, didn't know what to do and in a certain sense uh, you know he had made this uh, the king had made his point and uh, everybody had to agree with him or had to leave and he wanted them to leave and after that uh, the the m- master of ceremony you know there was a a master of ceremony i think it was a young nobleman yeah. Brésil, that was his name and he came because the, the king left. Okay, the king left with all the solemnity, and I think there were there was a music band, and there were
2: you know as they and the, yes, and the uh, uh, by the aristocracy uh, and the church, correct? They left as well.
3: Yeah, they did leave. Yeah. And then <clears throat> the, the problem is that uh, the, the all these deputies didn't want, didn't didn't know what to do, and Mirabeau was the real leader. And he had to do something because otherwise he wouldn't have he would have either he had accepted uh, the king's uh, stance on that particular matter that they had to to leave the room or he should uh, make his own voice Heard as well, and that's what he decided to do because he wanted to remain uh, the leader of that band of that I have group. A
2: question uh, for you, Monsieur, and I—I've studied this very much, but this is an intric- intricacy I've not yet gotten to. Between Bailey, the first president, I believe, of the assembly, and Mirabeau, Yes. Yes. Oh, it's were they in contention? Because Bailey was—I think he they was
3: definitely were. They definitely were. I'm sure. Yes, they were. I think that Mirabeau wanted to save his own leadership. And oh. Mirabeau is a, is a strange character in the sense that as you know he was rejected by his own um, class for reasons we will, we will explain later and he, as he, he had been rejected he was he was only supported by the tiers etat the third estate so he was on the one hand he needed desperately uh, yes. to be uh, recognized, and he was recognized through the tiers etat and, but, and at the same time, he despised them. You see,
2: it, This, is, this, this is, is a key so point, i sure, and I don't want to wax too psychological, but psychology is important. We are humans, after all. And I think that, from what I understand, and I'm, I now don't mean to shock our audience here, but it's a true word, nymphomania is the desire of uh, people to conspicuous, or satir, the sat, there's a satire male equivalent. But the idea is that compulsive sexual behavior is just acting out for a fundamental need to be accepted and loved. So I think that his constant philandering and his revolutionism are very much linked together.
3: Oh, this is a point I didn't uh, consider before, but I think you're right. Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, uh, if you want to look at the moral side of that guy, there are so many things that can be said. He was—he was, he was uh, as we said, he was a braggart. You know, he would boast uh, about his own uh, importance. Yes, he, he would lie. He was a liar as well. This is something people do not necessarily know. And he would—he plagiarized other writings, and he also stole some reports, particularly from me, uh, Talleyrand. This is interesting because Talleyrand, who was a scoundrel as well was an extremely smart guy, yes. who managed to survive all regimes, I- incredible, honestly the, the yes. life of Talleyrand is a, really something to, incredible as well, but p- would produce some reports or would uh, show some reports to Mirabeau, but Mirabeau was always looking for money because it, didn't have a a cent because he was spending all his money on his mistresses and prostitutes and all that so he never had a dime so as a result he would rub he he managed to either he would publish his own uh, pamphlets and his own writings some he did that but at the same time he would take the, uh, the 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 reports that were given to him and then he would say oh no 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 it's not me But he he was definitely lying, you see, so he had no morals. something that you would not be able you could not rely on him you see and this is the problem because at the the end of his life uh, he he appealed to the king and he really wanted to save the monarchy and i'm sure that he was he was uh, right and he was uh, honest in that particular approach but the king listened to him but Did not believe him because he had had such a reputation of, you know, lying and uh, robbing and uh, and creating scandalous uh, situations all the time. So well, at that
2: point, it's debatable. At that point, whether Mirabeau would have even had an effect, but it's true that I think that he did that. That what's almost a kind of repentance. You know, what's interesting? I had said to you several programs ago, Monsieur, that I found you know Mirabeau to be somewhat interesting, like a rapscallion type character. But the truth is, of all those, the, the four horsemen, Cagliostro, who was Satanist till the day he died, thank God in the custody of the Inquisition, Mesmer, who was a quack and a fraud, who defrauded people until he died, and Danton, who went out, if not repentantly, then unapologetically, as you said, when he said to the hangman, you know, show the people the head when I'm gone so they can see what a real yes. man looks like. Um, <laughs> what, a, what, what a comment to go out on. That is, Danton was astounding. But Mirabeau is the only person, I think, who is truly sorry for what they've done. And I know <laughs> I'm really going yeah, out of the I line
3: know, here. You but see, it, we will never know because <laughs> uh, he, he, was he really sorry? No, I think that he was, he, there was a definite urge on his part to be recognized. His father didn't want to recognize his uh, intellectual qualities, but then after a while he had to. But... He wanted to, all his life, I think he wanted to be his uh, father's son uh, and he thought he was not so all that much. And then, as you said, like in the ninfomania, uh, I think it's always the same thing. He wants to be recognized as a person. And, um, but as well, as I'm telling you, he was boastful, he was a braggart and he thought that he was superior to anyone else. From his, you know, from his, from his intellectual point of view, he thought he was absolutely the best. And so, all his life, he he tried to uh, carry favors with the uh, with the with the powerful. He wanted to be a minister, and he he never managed to be a minister. Particularly, he wanted to be a prime minister he definitely wanted to be the prime minister for for louis but it was impossible to give him that particular position because of his reputation so on the one hand he was extremely smart but on the other hand he had such a scandalous reputation that even if he had bright ideas he was not able to convince the powerful to, put it, put, to, to, to to let him be a minister because he would have probably been a very good minister because he had some form of pre-science this is the other point i wanted to make about him because if you consider for example some of his writings about prussia yes uh, it was extremely extremely bright on his part because he saw that already at the time the prussians were belligerent people? Yes, you see, that, that, that's incredible. He had, he wrote things about Prussia which came true uh, two centuries later. You see, so he had that precise. He was not a philosopher, but still he had, you know, he saw things. He had a gut and,
2: instinct. He he felt which way things were going, and that could yes have come. He did. Ahead that could have come again from a troub- troubled childhood. Often troubled children become very adept at discerning the moods of their parents because of the situation, fighting or yelling or something. So they're, mm-hmm. they're very perceptive people. So it's to perceptive. And your points are as fine and well-made, sir, as a sushi chef working. Because as I look at this, I, it just struck me for the first time, all of the principal revolutionaries, number one, had horrible childhoods. And number two, were close enough to where the king, who they saw was an ideal father and an ideal parent. You couldn't have asked for a better couple than Marie Antoinette and King Louis XVI. And you couldn't have asked for better children and more wonderful children. And even at the periphery, you have Marat, who actually was the um, medical associate, I believe, with the Comte d'Artois household. All of these eyes were windowed on the outskirts looking in.
0: Want her, don't go there. There's creatures who are hiding in the dark darkness. Something came creeping. It told her, Don't you worry, just alone.
2: the program. We're here at the bottom of the hour with our top guest, Monsieur. We were discussing the last segment, Mirabeau, and his psychological background. One might say he was actually carrying more luggage than Air France, but <laughs> g- g- even though he was a man with this great, these great burdens, what human doesn't, he seemed to have clear choices. He made clear decisions. Would you take us through some of those decisions that in- initially turned him against the monarchy and towards the end turned him back
3: we will go into depth into the character of Mirabeau and uh, it's extremely difficult to understand his personality because he's such a complex character. However, as I said previously, <coughs> there's no doubt that his particular childhood where his father was certainly a paternal authority, but uh, so uh, domineering and so Monstrously cruel towards yes. him played a very great role in the way he developed afterwards. And uh, there are many things to consider. For example, when he was only nine years old, or even should I say before that, when he was three years old, and I did that yesterday when we talked about Mirabeau, he was afflicted with smallpox. Yes. Now, on, all, on top of all his uh, problems, you know, because he he had a club foot, as I've told you. He had such a large head, uh, it had such a figure, it was uh, disfigured by smallpox as well. So his 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 surroundings, people around him would look at him as somebody who was very ugly. And when he was nine years old, his mother said to him a very, uh, very, um, not undelicate, but I do not find the right word, but she said... Uh, rudely, that uh, she was worrying, because uh, she thought that uh, later on in life, women would not like to look at his face because he was so ugly. Oh my God. And, and that's when he replied in a very astonishing manner. you see? Because he said something which goes like that: "Where do you want them to look at me?" whatever what i've got below will help them and what i've got below will help them will help what is missing above oh you understand the meaning of that particular (laughs) sentence
2: (laughs) he said that to his mother
3: yeah absolutely well this is this has been reported i've read that
2: yes it it seems in character
3: he was only nine years old and he was already quite grown up Physically speaking, and that explains he had such sexual urges, you know, that uh, he could not control them. I guess he was not able, he was he, he had grown up too quickly, in a sense, you see. And you he was he, he, he fell in love extremely often, as I said before. And uh, his first love when he was uh, very young was the first time he would spend money he didn't have. And this is, a char- this is a trait which followed him throughout his life. Because whoever was accompanying him, he, he was womanizing all the time. And as a result, he spent huge fortunes on women, although he didn't have a cent himself, you see. So it's, 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 it's an extremely strange character, honestly. It's rare to see somebody like that. But of course, he, was, he had natural defects smart yes his father used to say of him that he was like a sponge in the sense that he could uh, imbibe himself you know he could absorb all the things around him and he would he had a great memory and he would understand and would memorize everything and his father used to say that although he was very ugly through his words he was able to conquer all the women he wanted you see
2: so, you know, so the father would, in essence, be saying, you know, you may look like Satan's nephew's son, but you have a way with the ladies.
3: Um, exactly. This is, this is it. And, uh, uh, and the father was not too pleased about that. Sometimes he was pleased. Sometimes he was displeased. The father, as I told you yesterday, was an extremely important French economist because he had written books. He was so famous that he wrote a book on taxes where he condemned the existing tax system and he might have been right in what he was saying because he said that the contrôleur général, the, the, those guys who were in, in charge of collecting the money, were not collecting it properly, yes. but he attacked the king as a result imprisoned as well. So it's not only Mirabeau, the son who was in prison, but also the father. Jeez. The father was imprisoned for 10 days. I do not know where, but he was imprisoned because his book about taxes really annoyed the fermiers généraux, those who were collecting the money. So other, also uh, the Marquis de, de Mirabeau, also became very famous because as soon as you were imprisoned under a lead de cachet, you became something of a celebrity oh because you, you were doing something that the others were not doing and he you had the courage to voice uh, your criticism about the system and as a result the populace and people would enjoy that very much. So after that, this guy went to Paris and he was received, you see, and he became very well known like that. Now another trait about the father which is interesting and which it also in, explains uh, the uh, behavior of, of the son is that this, uh, this person became very famous as an economist as as we said yesterday, uh, as a physiocrat, <coughs> had not a lot of money either. He was he was not uh, penniless, but he ha- didn't have a lot of money. But he started doing experiments about uh, baker's popular ba- popular bakery, where every day the populace would come and they they would uh, they would kneel bread, they would prepare bread, nine hundred loaves of bread every day so he did that experiment for a while to see how people were behaving you see Mm. and he was very pleased with that particular experiment and of course the populace was very pleased too so you see these guys they were aristocrats and they would spend they would spend money that they didn't have and the son was better than the father in this particular respect because he did that all his life and he never had a penny and that could explain probably why he behaved the way he did, and although Mirabeau the son said that nobody was buying him, but that he was selling himself, the, the if you had money you could suddenly buy him, and that by the end of his days he was bought by the king. And it's very interesting because when talks nobody says anything about religion. Apparently we have no uh, no um, information. Uh, about the um, religion i think he must have been a catholic and it's this is a point of contention by the way but he uh, must have been catholic but there's no new nothing no information about uh, religion and and mirabeau uh, the the son Was suddenly an atheist. And uh, it also explains why he behaved the way he did. Because, you know, if you do not believe in God, if you do not believe in a a supernatural power, and there's no morals, if there's no morals, you can also be an anarchist. If you can be an anarchist, you can um, really crush everything and enjoy yourself only. And that's what they did, just like the others. They were there for the pleasure, you know, they were there because they were sensualists. Today we would say they were hedonists do you understand the word hedonist
2: indeed sir you have hit that point with a pillium a steel pillium like the roman legionaries used to have it, it, as dostoevsky once said in the brothers Karamazov*, when god is absent it is not nothing that is possible but anything
3: absolutely and Abraham,
2: and, yes. and this is a very very interesting point that i will explore later as we assess cagliostro who ties all these people together in a diabolical way there was, I would say this age wasn't non-religious. I would say it was irreligious. It was blasphemous. I, I, I'm thinking now as we discuss these people, is, is, is whatever their conditions are, I'm thinking about when the king used to go in ceremony to mass in the uh, palace of the Chateau de Versailles and he used to pass through um, you know, the hall of mirrors and all the people, the courtiers would stand there and watch the king go to mass. And I wonder if they can imagine that the entire hall, or near to it, of the the creme de la creme, if you want to call them that, were worshiping Satan.
3: I do agree with you, and I would like to bring another point here, which I, which I heard some time ago. It's. Uh, by uh, somebody who's died, who's dead now, and you know him. It's Bernard Fay. Yes. Remember? Bernard Fay wrote a very good book about Louis the Sixteenth. Yes. Sir. And in one of the, the episodes that you can find on the internet, on the YouTube, but it's uh, it's audio as well, and he says something about Choiseul. Choiseul who yes. was a minister under the Louis the reign,
2: very much linked he, with Madame he, Pompadour.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it ties in with what we are saying, because uh, he, was, he was supposedly a very devout Catholic. But then he would invite all his uh, favorite, um, well, uh, courtiers or all the, the, the members, people he, he liked a lot, to mass. But they would go to mass, all of them, but they would all receive a personal missile, you know, missile, you know the yes. missile. Yes. A, book, a book of prayers and with, you know, with the Mass. And inside, it was not the Mass. It was erratic writings during the Mass.
2: Dear God.
3: And another point as well, which is interesting, you know that uh, Talleyrand, you've heard about Talleyrand, the bishop of all Yes, he didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in God. You, and when he was supposed to to say Mass, I think it was during the that famous 14th of July, 1790, where they had the the Fed de la Federation. Oh, yes. You know, he was supposed to say Mass, and he didn't know what to say because he had oh. never said it. You see, and he was a bishop. You see, so it shows it shows the absolute contamination of of minds. Now, if you think of Lomini de Brienne, uh, who's yes. another interesting per, per, personage, um, he was—he uh, was—he became prime minister. You know, after Calonne and uh, before uh, after Necker, he he became uh, minister of finance for a short while. Yes. He was an administrator. He was—he was supposed to be an archbishop from Toulouse and Narbonne, but in fact. Himself, he had a very disgusting life, and uh, Marie Antoinette introduced him to Louis the Sixteenth, and Louis the Sixteenth finally accepted him as a finance minister because he had a very good reputation as a an, as a provincial administrator from the uh, pro- pro- province of uh, Toulouse and uh, Narbonne and the south south west of France. Yes. but he says okay, I'm going to appoint him as Prime Minister Minister of Finance, but does he even believe in Christ, you see, or in God? So he questioned, and actually this Lomini de Brienne was also a very famous Freemason, And the problem with the Lomini de Brienne is that he played a crucial role in eradicating plenty of uh, uh, religious orders and diminishing the orders. If you had only two or three uh, religious members in a congregation, they would uh, eradicate it. So, as a result, they were able, just before the French Revolution, to eradicate many of religious orders, you see which is also a sign of the degradation of morals uh, of the contamination of spirits you know and, and you, the lack lack of uh, uh, religious uh, feelings and uh, the Im- am- should i say immorality or amorality of all these persons who were to represent is blasphemy, blasphemy absolutely blasphemy so you see it's it's a uh, it's a context, it's an environment, it's a a period in time where uh, the the revolution was ripe to happen unfortunately, because of the contamination of the spirits. They were no longer, under the Gwydas 15s, they were more religious, but unfortunately uh, all these aristocrats, they were degenerates as well, you know? Yes. Sorry to say, okay.
2: Well, it points, to, you know, it points to the fact that although these are grotesque characters we're discussing and they're, cr- they're absolutely crucial to understanding the revolution, the hidden hands have been orchestrating this as we've discussed at the beginning of the program as sure, there was, there was a revolution in the liquidation of the religious orders before there was the storming of the Bastille. It's, um, absolutely.
3: The fact of burning effigies is always yeah. a sign that something worse is going to happen afterwards, you see. Uh, because if you start burning effigies, you can also kill people easily.
2: Is it but, practiced but, today? For
3: well, example? yes, Well, well absolutely. T, t, uh, because not not long ago, I think it was last year, there yes. were some eff- effigies burnt in France, and this is why I'm saying that, is awakening to sensuality or hedonism mm-hmm. very early in life. Nine years old is not old, is it? So. Uh, it 's incredible honestly if, if this is a true account then i don 't see why it sh- should not be true because it 's been related in many papers or books, so I do believe it is true so, so then afterwards, the first, the, he had many love affairs, the three main history should I say Yes, because uh, he ha- first he married one one uh, lady she was an aristocrat, you said because he only married uh, well at the start, he married an <laughs> aristocrat. And that was, her name was Emilie de Marignan. Well, she, why did uh, Mirabeau m- marry that girl? Honestly, uh, I didn't say that Mirabeau was living in the area in the south of France, in one of the most beautiful area in France, which is Aix-en-Provence, close to the Riviera, and where oh, the weather is very, very gorgeous. nice. Absolutely gorgeous, honestly. So, this is a, a very nice area to live in. And there was a, there was a little place called Mirabeau. So, when we say, uh, when we talk about this particular character, there's also a locality which is called Mirabeau, where they had a castle, you see? Yes. Although, he, although the father was not living in the Mirabeau locality, he was living somewhere else. But anyway, uh, he married that, uh, that lady. And uh, if he married her, it's because he thought she had a very good dowry. dowry. Yes, indeed. But that was the plan by his father, that he should marry that girl. But the thing is, she was already uh, engaged to someone else, you know. And uh, Mirabeau, who was uh, ugly, as we all know now, had, at, at the start, had really no chance of becoming uh, his uh his uh, her, her husband yes but you know he ha- as i've told you before he had such a uh, such a, uh, a power with words that he managed to convince her now how did he convince her well by talking and also by playing the harpsichord apparently he she played Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is strange, but apparently, apparently, this is what I've read, you know. And apparently, he would play the piano and she would uh, sing or something like that. And they would come closer and closer all the time. And finally, she decided to prefer him to the guy she was supposed to marry. It
0: was a teenage wedding and the old folks wished him well that Pierre did truly love the mademoiselle. And now the young monsieur and madame have run the chapel bell. C'est la vie, c'est l'eau, folks. It goes to show you never can tell. They furnished off an apartment with a two-room, the old folks, go to show you never can tell. They had a high-five phone, oh boy, did he let it blast. 700 little records all rock, rhythm, and jazz. But when the sun went down, the rapid tempo of the music fell. Say la vie, said the old folks, go to show you never can tell.
3: He was an aristocrat. He had the name of an aristocrat, but he had no real uh, money himself. You see, but the father, his father, was very much interested in having uh, him marry that girl because she had a good diary. You know, about sixty thousand uh, um, pounds, we would say, the livre in French, yes. uh, a year. So that seemed to be a very, uh, a very good investment. He was. He managed to. Uh, to, to have that Emily de Marignam become his wife, he had no money, he was relying on her diary, and as soon as they were married, he started buying plenty of things and spending huge fortunes to, uh, to have a very nice apartment, uh, to have a coach, to have plenty of uh, uh, employees, you see, and he spent a fortune which he didn't have. And that yeah. led to the first problem, but as uh, con- uh, uh, concurrently yes the uh the former uh fiance, you know the the, man, the the man who was about uh, who was uh, dismissed uh, oh the guy uh, thrown and, under yes yeah the the, the, the one <laughs> who was thrown uh, away was yeah. not too pleased about that and they, had, they they there was a rivalry you know and they they had a, a something like a jewel. You know, you understand what duel? Oh, they,
2: did they with pistols
3: or saber? Well, actually, at the time they were not using pistols. They were using the sabers. You know the uh yes. the Yeah, you know what I mean. Mirabeau knew
2: how. Is it Mirabeau was a swordsman too?
3: Oh yes, I would explain that to you later. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yes, I, I, I you know there are so many things to say about this guy. It's oh my gonna, God. No, 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 he was, he was uh, actually, uh, his father, if I may just uh, interrupt here Please. a little bit, his father uh, could not control, uh, con- control his son because he, he, had, he, me- he misbehaved in such a way that nobody could control him. So first he was sent to a boarding, boarding, uh, ro- boarding house. Uh, with an abbé, the Chocar, the abbé Chocar, who was very well known for for being extremely or ferociously strict, <coughs> but he couldn't control him either. So afterwards, they decided to send him in the army. So he fought in the army uh, in Corsica, and that's an interesting point to consider here because. At the time, when you became a member of the army, a soldier, whatever your position in the army, you would necessarily, or most necessarily, have to be admitted in a lodge, in a Freemason Lodge. Really? How is that? This is exactly how they contaminated the French army. You see, oh my God. Because in all the regiments you had lodges. You see, this is this is an extremely clever plot on the part of Satan.
2: No, not to, not to divert, sir, but this is stunning to me. Did did this happen under the reign of Louis the Fifteenth, and was the king not aware of this? I
3: guess it. Well, Louis XV was the Fifteenth was was against masonry. Yes. He,
2: fought against
3: it but it happened yes and during Louis the 16th there were lodges in all the regiments and so this is probably the first time that Mirabeau became acquainted or became a member of a Freemasonic lodge you see and that was in Corsica and in Corsica uh, he would also have a debauched life, and he would spend money which he didn't have, as, as always, and he created a problem for his family. But now, to come back to the point I was I, I was uh, making here, yes, that um, he had he, he had this rivalry with a former gentleman who wanted to be the 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 the, the husband. He was also related uh, to the Marquis de Sade. Oh. Uh, wow. He was related, you know, they, they were, they had f- uh, common ancestors.
2: So you see that the world is very small. When yeah, their common it. ancestors, I, I, I shake thinking what their common ancestor was, some creature, um, probably had mm-hmm. hooves. But, you know, Mirabeau, I'm a gog, sir. This man has such complications in his life. And so he's back in, he's in France. He's so, escaped. Yes. He's trying to yes. keep his faith secret. And now he comes out of the Masonic Army that I'm, I'm absolutely floored to hear that. I, my mouth is hanging open, monsieur, because never in my wildest dreams did I imagine a wholesale, it wasn't, a, it wasn't really an insurrection, it was an occupation, a wholesale occupation of the Royal Army Officer Corps by Masons.
3: Oh yes, by there him. were, absolutely. This is, this is known in certain of circles. Course. I'm not inventing this up, absolutely. Of course.
2: I, and, I, I, uh, and this, this also explains the Guard Swiss, The guard Swiss was not Masonic, which is why they were butchered.
3: Well, this is exactly this is what we said previously. We said yes. that in fact Louis the sixteenth decided to surround Paris with his troops, but he decided not to have the French guards. He wanted only to have foreign legions oh because he knew they would not be contaminated and they were not speaking French and they would be loyal to him. Whereas all the French soldiers were contaminated first. If they were to go to the Palais Royal, they would be surrounded by horse who would take them home and oh they would God. contaminate them. See, so, so the
2: king and the queen must have known everything they must this is so they must have known this is so oh, horrible yeah, that
3: it, it, it's a it's a it's a, an incredible
2: story honestly monsieur to as raison even in a world that stuns me daily daily i am still amazed at what we have heard today there is there's mirabeau for you i don't know i don't know what to think myself but i'm glad of one thing that we are far from done. As a matter of fact, this little podcast for good is chugging along with your help, your listenership, and your support. It is so good to have made such friends on an endeavor where I expected such great difficulties. We expected such great difficulties in Les Etats Unis. So I want to say thank you all and thank, thank a loving God who supports us and keeps us going and will bring us to you next time. Thank you all. God bless you all. Until next time, take care of yourselves and we'll see you soon.